0: going on everyone and welcome to another episode of writing friction and as always today's guest is pretty cool and in the same area as me everyone say hello to christopher moore how are you chris i'm good thanks michael i'm loving those flowers behind the left and i also like the bookshelf um (laughs) real quick what's the first book that pops into your head from that shelf behind you
1: oh um Book called Blue, which is about the color blue that I uh, bought for research for a book I wrote a few years ago um, the, called Soccer Blue.
0: It's about the color blue what, how it affects you. I mean, what? what, what it's, how it's do you write a book about, about, about the blue?
1: chemistry and history of the color blue? Um, I don't remember the author right now. It's a French guy.
0: Uh huh. Um, well, that kind of goes back into you know looking and doing research for this episode, you know, i I made the joke before the podcast, but you know, looking at your bibliography is like looking at Bowie's discography. You're a guy who's kind of been writing books. I mean, it seems like every year-ish you're kind of pumping one out, right? About every year and a half, I think is an average, yeah. Now, is that the kind of, I mean, are you the kind of dude who do you, is it just a routine? I mean, it seems like if you're going to be doing that, it's maybe you're the kind of person who's boom, boom, boom. How do you go about pumping it out so consistently?
1: Well, I, it's, it's less regular than you think. Like I, I have friends who are crime writers and it's, they have hard deadlines that they have to put out a book or two a year. Yeah. And you know, a lot of them, like some of them, it's always April and mm-hmm. you know, they, spend two months going to Italy or something, and then they go do something else. And, um, and I'm not quite like that. I miss a lot of my deadlines. The way I had my contracts um, set up was every 18 months. Okay. But some books take less than 18 months to write. Um, if it's a sequel and it's uh, a, an area that I'm familiar with, there doesn't need to be any research. So it's just the writing of the book. And sometimes books are shorter. So I have a couple of vampire titles that may have taken... Six to nine months to write. Wheres uh-huh. whereas then I have books that are big historical things like Lamb or Sakura Blue, and those you know took three years. Uh-huh. And um, I in fact when I was writing Sakura Blue, I wrote one of the vampire books while I was researching Sakura Blue. Yeah, a I, co- I mean
0: we we talked to Mark Rainey. He's the guy who does the Tom Clancy stuff now, and like he said, you're correct. He's I think he's doing two or three books at a time. It's almost like a six month cycle for those people
1: yeah it, i think it, it just depends i mean i I've often said that if I didn't write comedy, I could probably write faster um, really yeah because, I thought it would be the opposite uh, you'd think but the thing is it has to be funny if it's just you know if if you write straight say thrillers yeah. which is a good sort of mid ground um uh, uh genre um if you're really good at outlining, then it's basically you put your time in. Each scene uh, accomplishes what you need. Each scene to do moves the story in the way you need it to do. Yeah. And then it's just uh, you know sliding pieces around in your outline. But every day you can go, okay, I'm going to write two scenes a day. I'm going to write 2,000 words a day or whatever. Yeah. But um, with me, what I find is I if I write it and it's not funny, I've wasted my time. And oftentimes I need to think about a scene – to come up with what's going to be funny in it. So, so, um, and, and my own, the only reason I would say that that's, that probably maintains is how
0: few, uh, comic novelists there are. You literally, I mean, you literally took the words out of my mouth. Um, I, my, I lean towards the comedy side of in my writing and it's, you know, especially, I mean, we're recording this in 2021 on nine 11 and, uh, from New York, you know, 20 year anniversary, but, You know, it's amazing how yeah the literary literary landscape these days. It's to find someone who's trying to be funny without, you know, it goes back to really what I want to ask you is when you started doing this, you know, you're writing about drugs, you're writing about you know airplane crashes while getting fucked. I mean, you're doing all this stuff. Did you make a conscious decision early on? to lean heavy into that? Is that your personality? I mean, we're just meeting for the first time. I don't really know you. Are you a guy um, who just likes to shoot the shit and just be laughing all the time? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I,
1: do you mean in, to write comedy? Was that a, a, a decision?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, do, is it your personality? And if, if so, was it easy for it to come out in your art?
1: I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it, ha- I, when I first started going to writers conferences in the early, early eighties, Um, I thought I was a horror story writer and I took my horror stories into workshops and I would read them and people would laugh at the way Mm -hmm. I turned a phrase. And I just thought, I guess that's what I do. Um, And so I, I, you're right. I leaned hard into that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what I find funny and what other people find funny, we can have another, that's another discussion, but yeah, it's just something that I'm able to do that, that distinguishes me from the other 90 next writers that might be writing horror um, mm-hmm. or might be writing science fiction or might be writing fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it was just, it, it, I guess fits with my natural personality and that I've, you know, people were laughing at my stuff before I knew I was writing comedy.
0: Yeah. Um, and And it seems to be like, you know, Going back to the beginning of it, the first book was Practical Demon Keeping, correct? Right. And that was ninety two. But before that, what was leading into that? I mean, had you had the idea of a long form fiction before? Where you kind of you said writing workshop. How did you get into it to even like kind of begin with?
1: Well, I had been. Um, I, I sort of. I, I I was a pretty good writer in high school. Yeah. And then I got. Um, as from a working class family in Ohio, and, and everything was like your entire fate was based on were you working hard enough? I mean, I don't care if it was an earthquake, you know, it was like, oh, you had an earthquake? Were you working hard enough?
0: Ohio's a wild um, place, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, and my dad was a cop, and, and he was sort of raised hmm. with that same sort of work ethic. So, um, I realized pretty early on I wasn't going to make a living like right out of high school as a writer. Yeah. And even if you go to college, undergrad, you're not going to, well, graduate level, you're not going to make a living as a writer. Um, and so I, I picked something that seemed more practical, and but yet creative, which was photography. So that's what I came to California to study when I got out of high school and failed miserably, dropped out of school. And, and I was selling insurance. Uh, and, and my girlfriend I was living with at the time in Santa Barbara said, oh, there's this thing, uh, this writer's conference. You said you used to write. You should go to that thing. Really? And I went, okay, I went. And I went to that thing, and I wrote. You had to write some stories to get into the conference, to submit. And I wrote them, and and people were sort of over the moon about them, the, the judges or whatever. And I got some uh, positive reinforcement from the guy who worked the comedy workshop a guy named ian bernard who used to write for laughing back in the 60s
0: that was a separate workshop a comedy workshop it it was a it was a comedy workshop in
1: a writer's conference
0: oh cool um
1: and and so so you had like workshops pretty much all day and then you had middle of the night workshops pirate Mm -hmm. workshops where you stayed till two or three in the morning reading your stories and i learned a lot it was it was a good experience for me but that's where I I think I I went from a sort of this undefined, I don't know what I want to do to this is what I seem to be good at. Uh And I had been, I had sort of cut my teeth on Ray Bradbury and Robert Block and Richard Matheson, all these guys that, you know, most people know their stories because they were adapted for the twilight zone back in the fifties and Mm sixties. And uh, that's what I was reading when I was a kid to get to what I would be writing. And, um, so, but I, but I realized very early on, like, as soon as I decided, okay, I'm going to make another shot at it, you had to write novels.
0: And this Nobody is, the, was,
1: this, this is yeah.
0: mid to late eighties? Uh, this is, yeah, mid to late eighties. Uh-huh. And, and, what, and there was no
1: way you were going to make a living with short story. There's still no way you're going to make a living never, with short
0: Never, no, story. no way. Um, but I was going to ask, I mean, what was the scene like then? I mean, especially in Southern California, was it, you said Santa Barbara?
1: Yeah. Well, Santa Barbara was a tough place to be poor. Um, (laughs) Still, you know,
0: things haven't changed.
1: Yeah, it it was, it was a tough place to be poor. And I was going to, if I was going to write, I was going to have to, you know, work in a job that maybe didn't pay as much, but allowed me uh, more freedom Um, and free and free mental time. I mean, selling insurance didn't involve as much uh, actual time on the clock as it did anguish over whether you were going to fail or not. Um, So, you know, I did think I waited tables and worked in hotels at the desk and stuff like that. And I moved to Cambria out of Santa Barbara. But the scene, there wasn't a writing scene there. There was just everybody, you know, anybody you knew that was trying to do something like that was working five jobs to make that happen. And and that was, and Santa Barbara was a really expensive place to live. Like it would be to try to do that in the city now in san francisco
0: i own a dog walking business
1: oh there you go there you go um so you know what i mean about being on the hustle and so anyway that was i ended up in a little town on the central coast and that and living in that little town where every tomorrow is like yesterday and nothing ever seems to change that's what set up writing of uh, practical demon key.
0: Well, did you immediately fall in love with California when you when you came out here?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Um I, I mean even after I dropped out of college, um, you know, my mother was like, oh you had a job with a union and benefits, you need to come back. And I, I had I said, look, mother, I would rather starve in California than own Ohio. Yeah. Um and that's been a, that's maintained, you know, for 40 something years
0: now. Yeah, similar th- I mean we're on sim again, I'm looking at your wiki and it seems like you and I are similar yeah. as in the sense of you know, 10 years ago, I was 23, 24, working in Fort Lee, New Jersey, right over the George Washington Bridge. I'm from northern New Jersey where they filmed The Sopranos. And, uh, you know, wanted to, I needed to get out. I joined a band. I moved to San Francisco. It was just – and the second I got here, I took it back east, and I'm like, never again. It's just it, – as soon as I got here, it was immediate. Um, but immediately, you were drawn into it. You're living here Seems to be right off the get-go. That's where you started writing, and that's where your books kind of the universes began for you, right? I mean, you write about yeah. It, so most. Of yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I,
1: you, you follow that that um, old Hemingway adage: "Write what you know." You know, but but that 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 also, you know, you have to preclude. You also will learn stuff that you can write about. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're writing the same sort of Roman a cleft you know, you end up writing like John Cheever stuff. Like, this is my boring life that I can eloquently uh, uh, expound on, and that's not what I was interested I, in. I was,
0: so. I was hoping you weren't going to say someone else, but we'll stick with Cheever. That's fine. I, I like yeah, that. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Like um, yeah, But, but you know, also
1: stuff that you're taught in MFA programs to write. Um, you know, your first novel's always supposed to be uh, autobiographical, and, 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 and I think people can get in a rush and I just, my life wasn't interesting enough, you know, uh-huh. to write about. Um, I used up all the jobs I had ever done, which were a fair number of them, by my third book. And by my fourth book, I went, I got to write about somebody who does something I haven't ever done before. Uh-huh. So I, my main character is a pilot, and I learned to fly a little bit and hung around pilots. So I saw how they talk to each other and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's, you are writing about your own life, but certainly most of the, I think most of the books are set in California.
0: Well, well, yeah. Let's not jump. Ahead. I want to kind of go back to that first book. Who are you at that time? I mean, how long did that first man? I mean, I'm literally holding the first manuscript of my novel. The li- I'm about it's done, but I wrote a novella two years ago, and that yeah. took about a year. But I've been writing this book for four plus years. I mean, how long did that first book take? Was that a quick experience for you? I mean, you know, no, you- no. I, I the
1: the biggest thing I had. I mean, this maybe speaks closer to to where you are, or maybe a little bit behind where you were, is I I turned 30 and just had a meltdown because I had never finished a book and I had, you know, done all the, I had done all the sort of suffering you're supposed to do as a writer and all the drama of it, and the substance abuse and all that, but I really hadn't gotten anything done. And so I realized, okay, I, I've got a, you know, I just face planted on my whole life and, um, I decided, okay, I'm going to actually do what I've been everybody's been telling me to do for the last 10 years, which is write every day yes. and, and not try to get a whole book done on Sunday night before it's due on Monday, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know, treat it like the teen, term paper thing. So I wrote uh, every day and I, I lived in a, my friend's basement in a room that didn't have room for a desk. So I would get up and go to a diner and I would write longhand in a notebook um, every day. And for, I think a year, I wrote in a, in a journal. Okay. And I had to write every day. It didn't have to be long. It didn't have to be good. And, and much of it, if I looked back on it, that sure show was whining. Um, but, uh, you know, I was still a failure. Uh, but I did, but I did, after I had done and, and all that time, every day, I was thinking about the book I was going to write. And if I would have an idea for the book, I would write it in the margins of that, uh, mm-hmm. of that um, the, uh, journal, I guess. So after a year I went okay now I'm going to write the book. And I had the same rule about writing the book is I would write every morning first thing you know get up dress go to the the diner drink coffee and write and I
0: so had, a had a good schedule. You were a scheduled kind of guy. I it, it, everything out
1: I tried everything else and it didn't yeah. work. Yeah. You know and especially for knowing I had to do long form. I mean you can be a great sprinter and you do these you know, maybe a brilliant short story, but then what? Then you've got to start over again, you know? And so I knew uh, my goal was to eventually make a living and I was going to have to write novels. So that's that's how the schedule started, was, was writing every day. I wrote the entire book longhand um, on like big chief pads. Um, and I did not rewrite anything until I had a first draft.
0: That's, that's what I was going to say. On that for, and you know, people who, this is what people want to know. That first draft, it was just getting on the paper, get it down. Once it's finished, I'll fuck with it later. That's how you thought of that first right, draft. Right, right. Yeah. And I
1: would continue to write it in the journal that I was telling you about. um, Maybe less each day, but I would, you yeah. know, and I would, if I had a note for rewrites for the book, I would put it in the margin of the journal and go, you've got to go back and change you know, mm-hmm. Jeff's name to Bob or whatever, or, you know, he has to be in this scene in this thing. But I didn't do it at that point because I had started several long works and I had these incredibly polished chapters one and two and never got to chapters three and four. So I knew what I couldn't do mm-hmm. um, um, or what wasn't going to work. And so I was trying something else, which was get a whole first draft. Yeah. Did, I, I wouldn't look back more than half a page to see like, where does this scene start? And by the, I would say, three quarters of the book, I had forgotten some of the character's last name. So I would put, like, Robert Lyne, you know, and <laughs> you I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, look this cool up later, yeah. yeah you and and kind of I think thing. that was, that was really an act of faith of so many teachers that had said, this is what you, have. And, and working novelists, I yeah. said, this is what you have to do to get the work done. Yeah. And you have to get it done, you know, get a draft and then rewrite. And, and other way and, the the truth is and this is now experience of having written a bunch of books is you're going to rewrite that first or second chapter a bunch of times anyway uh-huh. you know you're going to do things in in chapter 30 that are going to make you have to go back and change stuff so don't change it you know on the third week you're working on the book you know so that was how it, it happened and i finished the book after it took me a year to write the manuscript uh-huh. and then i bought a uh Computer basically on credit from the guy who had the diner that I wrote the book, and we'd become friends. You know, he's like, Well, I guess you're not going to go away. Um, and uh, what and he's like, uh, It was like an a, a IBM PC, okay, you know, with the two with the two disk drives,
0: yeah, okay, I now
1: weighed so. about a hundred pounds. Uh-huh. Um, this, we're talking this is about 1990, yeah, 1989, yeah. something like 1989, I guess, and um. And I put the input, the entire manuscript into the computer. That was the first rewrite
0: you, when you physically typed it on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And that was the first rewrite. So Mm -hmm. that any of the scribbles and scratches and circles and arrows were gone. And now it was a manuscript. Yeah. And, um, which used to take, I mean, this is like, let me tell you about walking to school in the snow, you know, that kind of stuff. I know that's what this sounds like, but it would take like eight hours to print out a 300 page. Oh yeah. Because it was like on these with the these uh, with the printers, yeah, yeah, and they had the tractor feed thing, yeah. and you go, okay, I'm going to start this out, and, and it's not like a machine gun; it literally would vibrate itself off the end of the table it was on. We uh-huh. have something there, um, and it, and you go, man, I can't do it. I got to go do something. So you'd like start it. And then you'd leave the house and you'd come back expecting to have this, okay, I'm going to have to separate all these pages. And they're and all
0: stuff. connected, yeah. And, and you'd
1: have, have- you just type one line. Yep. On, you know, the, the, the tractor feed had jammed and you'd type your entire book on one line. So you'd used all the ink, but... <laughs> but the, but you hadn't printed your manuscript it was yeah. so you kind of had to babysit the printer even though it was going to put a tape. fan
0: on it make sure it doesn't over it's like a crap oh it was, it
1: was insane I knew people yeah. that would like they had a house with a balcony and they would put the tractor feed out over the edge of the balcony and like, yeah, out the my other.
0: father did that my father was a computer programmer forever and, yeah you know growing up I'm not a big computer guy but I mean he had it all right I mean he had my house hooked up with everything right and I remember he the prints would get so long he would put it out the window you're totally Right. I totally forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, because the mechanical part yep. was
1: what would break. Yeah. You know, it wasn't the computer wouldn't break, it was all the stuff moving the paper. And yeah. that that maintained up until probably the early two thousands. I
0: was gonna say like, late nineties. Yeah, laser Yeah, printers. yeah. you could I mean even
1: when they went the first laser printers and stuff were are we're shit, oh, you know, yeah, they, awful. Yeah, they
0: jammed all the time. You know? right. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, to put in really, I was born in 1987, but what, you know, high, you know, high school, when, it, when my dad would get fucking pissed, I would print so- map quest directions and those ink cartridges were a lot of money. Right. You know, right. I mean, he would get pissed. All right. So you have this first book, this first manuscript, 30 year old, whatever, dude. maybe smoking weed, doing whatever you're doing. Um, Where's the motivation? How do you even get that first book published?
1: Um, I did what you know all the writers' guides say to do. You know the novel and short story writers' uh, guides say to do. You know I wrote the query letter and started sending it out. And I was you know living in my friend's basement, and uh, his girlfriend was from LA. Okay, and and her best friend would come and visit. You know, and stay at the house. And she worked in development for CBS, I think. Okay. Um, and so I said, and so she read for a living. It's the short of that. She read scripts for a living. And I said, look, would you read this? I don't need you to do anything with it. I just need to know if it blows up. Wow. And and she said, I'll when I can. And I said, cool. That's all I'm asking. I don't need you to. You know, I'm not asking a favor except that yeah. read it and tell me if it's awful because yeah. you just don't have any sense of it. Um, and so uh, – and, and it was a big deal to because you every time you do it, it's either that eight hours of printing the manuscript or it's like 40 bucks to get it copied at the copy uh, place. And that was a fortune at that point. So anyway well, – real, real
0: quick, just I want to ask you a quick question. You give her that manuscript. You're like, read it, whatever. In your mind, can you – I mean were you – expecting it to suck were you expecting rejection all the way or did you think you had something that was really awesome on your hands i didn't
1: know i thought i I think i thought i had done what i had set out to do which was the main goal which which was yeah i finished a book i'd written a funny horror story um i just didn't know whether it worked or you know what and And then while she was reading it, I was doing, you know, whatever rewrites, you know, I was doing from other people who were readers. I didn't give it to other writers. I gave it to like the kind of, you know, like your friends that read three books a week. Yeah. You know, and I was like, just tell me if it's, if it stops you, if there's a point where you're reading it and it stops you. And I, and I I got, if I got the same comment from two people, if that needed to be fixed. Right. So, um, And then about six months, this woman calls me back and she said, I read your novel. And I said, great. And she said, and there's two agents that want to represent you. Oh, wow. And she had sent it off to agents. And, and, um, and this is probably one of the most difficult things I ever did is the first guy in New York that accepted me said, um, you know, we had a call and, and he goes, well, you know, the book is good but all everybody's too nice the monsters are too nice you've got to you've got to make them meaner and you've got to cut there's too many monsters because there's a genie and there's a demon and he's gonna you've know, you got to get rid of one of those and it was like kind of going through the list and i go you know what i and this really was like i was looking at waiting tables for ether and that was not a bad job but that wasn't what my, my goal was and i but i go to the guy I go, look. I appreciate the time you've taken on this and your comments, but I would rather die in obscurity than to make those changes. You know, and and I I didn't feel like it was arrogant because I felt like you know anybody else that had made suggestions, if it resonated with me, and that maintains to this day. I mean, if my editor goes, "You need to change this," if that you know clicks in my mind, I go, "I yes, I do." You know, but if 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 it doesn't, then I don't do it. You know. So anyway, that was. The first agent that accepted me, I rejected, um, which was like, I mean, it's like hanging up the phone and going, well, that may have been the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever done. You know? Yeah. Um, but it, it worked out and somebody else picked it up and then it sold um, an agent in Hollywood that worked in a, bu- a boutique agency. Uh, he sold it to Disney for a ton of money. They had a
0: publishing uh, company?
1: It's... For a film before it had ever been a, a oh,
0: yeah wow okay okay
1: and um yeah and, and they and there were two other studios that were interested in it and, and uh, my agent called me at where I was waiting tables and he goes uh, they what uh, is it they'll give you three hundred fifty thousand dollars but you have to answer by seven o'clock tonight. Or the or it's going to go away. They're not going to let it go to the morning because then Paramount and Warner are going to off run it, and they won't don't want to get in a bidding war. And I was like, I got garlic bread going down. <laughs> I'm like, <take> <laughs> yeah. literally, I go, I can't talk, you know, because that was before. <laughs> supper, you know? So
0: uh, that, I, that's a I fucking go, dream come. That's a dream come true. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I go, tell him you're
1: authorized to close for 400, and you can't get hold of me. And he goes, they'll never believe that. And I go, I got garlic bread on table five. I got to go. take go. out So yeah. he calls me back, and he goes, okay, they settled at 400. Um, and I go, what'd you tell me? He goes, I told him that you, I was authorized to settle at 400, but I couldn't get hold of you. And I'm like, what am I paying you for? You know I was gonna
0: say, yeah, isn't that his job?
1: Uh, Yeah. But, but I mean, he did a great job. I don't want to, I don't want to diss the guy. I mean, it was, he, he took a, he, he took a waiter from being a waiter into being a professional writer in like a matter of 15 minutes. So that was.
0: uh, So, so, so that pops, that happens, you know, now you're a young dude with a whole bunch of cash and stuff like that. How do you stay motivated? What's the next thing? I mean, at that time, do you quit that job that night, go home, buy a fifth of beef eater, and just like get to it? I mean, what did you do? I did. You know what? That, that's
1: your first, your first instinct is like, I could get a rock of cocaine the size of a Volkswagen. You know. um, no, I, I did. The, the thing about having some success when you're, I was 33 at that point. You know, I was 30 when I started that project. I was 33 when it sold. And you have read every story about everybody that went yes. to Hollywood, had one deal, bought a Porsche, ended up living in the valley, you know, or, you know, in somebody's back room. And they, they just did done the full loop in a matter of time. So that wasn't what was going to happen. That money had basically put me where I would have been if I had been working a career-type job yeah. like everybody else instead of living on a subsistence level. Yeah. And um, so I, I just knew I had to write another book.
0: yeah.
1: You know, and that was the thing. And I even, I had my New York agent go... You know, Disney offered me a screenwriting deal, and and it was basically like an open—you pick an idea, we'll pick an idea, you write two screenplays for us, we'll pay you X amount of money. Um, and I, I hated driving in LA; it was just terrifying. Right? You
0: were still living outside of Santa Barbara? Yeah, I was
1: living up in a little in a little town on the central coast of California. And um, I had this this 280Z Nissan that
0: my dad had one 280ZX yeah every- I am your dad that's it's clear that I am your Gold dad t top
1: yeah this, this, this one it leaked fumes yeah this leaked fumes so I couldn't even take it to L A for my Disney meetings I had to fly down because I, I would have been asphyxiated yeah and anyway so it was nightmarish and I and I knew I didn't want to live in L A and I would have had to do that to do the the uh, screenplay job and so. My New York agent goes. You got to decide whether you're a novelist or a screenwriter, and I go. I guess I've got to write another book. Okay. And um, and I when I was doing my research for the demon book, yeah, uh, I kept saying "see trickster, see trickster." and So I would like, and these are real books. I'm going, you know, there's no internet at that point. Yeah, and I'm flipping to you know the trickster part. And I'm like, this is interesting, you know. And you're reading about Coyote and Loki and a and, and all these different tricksters from different, you know. Uh, different cultures, and uh, and I thought, well, I'll write about it. that's my next book, you know. And uh, I, I just, I sort of, without a contract or anything, I did a second book on spec. Um, it was it ended up being Coyote Blue. I went and lived on the Crow Reservation for a while. No idea what I was doing no basis i had i've been like an anthro major at ohio state
0: were you a personal question are you married at this time single person no no i was i was
1: saying it was was funny the the call of living with the day i found out about the the deal yeah um my my best friend at the time the guy whose basement i used to live in um he said i gotta come over and talk to you and i'm like okay and he goes your girlfriend, when you're at work at night, she's going out with another guy. No and shit, like, really. Yeah, and I'm like, oh well, she's going to be really sad because wow. I just got this deal from Disney, yada yada. So, but it was like, yeah, so it was like a really good news, bad news scenario. So it was real on, on all fronts. It was completely starting over. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um,
1: and and uh, you know, I did buy a nice fast car. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the rest, other than that, you know, it was just sort of getting myself back to zero with everybody else my
0: age. It, it, at, well, okay. Well, interesting. Well, but at that time too, you know, I'm putting much just the stuff I was reading at that age, you know, were there any other contemporaries of yours doing the same thing? I, I and you're going to say probably no, but immediately goosebumps comes to mind because when I was a kid, that was the big thing. And you know, when you go into the horror kind of side of it, you know, that's what I read as a younger kid at that time. But was anyone doing what you No, were No, there was not right? No. And in fact, I remember
1: sitting down, sitting with a friend who was a writer and going, I want to do for horror what Douglas Adams did for science fiction. Oh, wow. And so that was sort of my model. And the only person that was writing like funny thrillers was Carl Hyacinth, And he had oh, two or three books out. And he, he's out of South Florida Um, um and he just writes. They're they're realistic. They don't have a fantasy element like my stuff does. Yeah. But they were thrillers that were pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and and now and he actually kind of started a whole South Florida crime comedy genre within himself. You know. Yeah. So good good on him. But really, my model was Douglas like Adams,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, and saying, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do for the horror genre what he did for science fiction. but there was was, i don't think there was goosebumps yet or if there was i wasn't aware
0: of it okay yeah yeah i mean well the goosebumps thing yeah you could prove me wrong on that i don't know if that would be the same time but yeah and then so you have at that time it seems like you you know you want to lean into comedy you kind of know you want to lean into this horror kind of thing Do you also know at that time when you're building these first two novels that characters are going to make their way through other things and do you have a whole web kind of planned out did you even know the end of the second book no no i had
1: no idea i had no idea in fact and, and and that's something that you know maybe your listeners will know this but you know my i have characters that just pop up from story to story with no sort of logic other than oh well, yeah geographically that works um And that was just basically at request. I mean, by the time I was getting, I was one of the first non tech authors to have my email on my books. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I would get, you know, because they weren't touring me nationally for my first four books, I think.
0: This is the publisher?
1: Yeah. And so I put my email on it, and then people would email me. And it was like AOL and CompuServe were the only, that was the internet at that point. And so I got, I would get requests, and people go, oh, we want to see more of this character and more of that character. So I would write them in to another book, Uh which was great fun, except later on I would find, you know, as we get into the late 90s and the O's, and and films are buying my you know, film companies are trying to buy my stuff, is you know, they're going, oh no, Disney owns that character.
0: Really? From the past works you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So even though
1: yeah, yeah, so even though character might only appear for one scene in a new book, the 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 film companies were terrified of Disney. And is that a like, wild no.
0: thing as an author being told that you can't use your own character? Con- for, for contractual reasons. That's fucking it unbelievable. Sucks. Well, I mean, you know, th- there's so many, the more of these podcasts I do, there's so many parallels between the publishing world and the, you know, the major record label world. Right. And how, you know, at the end of the day, it really is all about that bottom line and, you know, how, how many musicians have been screwed out of, you know their own songs i mean yeah it's just it's yeah crazy. yeah
1: i mean i can't i disney uh i mean they paid me a ton of money they made no, yeah. you no,
0: i mean that's what that's but what, yeah, yeah i
1: mean i mean i, <laughs> I, I knew I, I just didn't anticipate that it was going to affect me later on i was yes. writing for my audience and going yes. they'll think this is cool they'll go oh this is so cool i know this guy and then as it as it moved forward it became yes. really problematic that's um, crazy and, you know, and you don't, you know, you don't plan your career out, you know, you're going, man, I hope, I hope I get this. I hope I can make this happen. And you make it happen. And then you write something that's interesting. And then, you know, a lot of writers, if they, if they're just going to be novelists, especially if they're interested in, in, uh, genre fiction, you know, uh, science fiction, fantasy, romance, crime, whatever, um, you know, they'll do a, they'll take a contract right off the bat for like five books. And I'm so glad I didn't do that because I had so much more freedom and, you know, I didn't have a deadline on that second book. I set my own personal deadline now knowing how long it took me to the first one, but I didn't set a deadline for the second one. And, and then after that one, I did have a deadline because I had a two book contract. And, um, and then since then I've you know signed four book contracts, uh uh-huh. it, um, it, uh, it, you just don't plan your career. You're just doing, I, I mean, you really, for me being a novelist, the coolest thing is I can go write a book about what I find interesting. And if I don't know anything about it by the time I'm done, I'm going to know a lot. Yeah.
0: yeah the, the book, I mean, you know, again, in doing research for this, uh, the, I'm going through stuff and the book that I, I have to, I have to get is the Island of the Sequin Love Nun. And on your website, it's cool because you, you do, you do the first chapter and you can roll your eyes. But so I'm just going to read something you wrote real quick. Cause I think, you know, okay. it's still, I think it still makes a lot of, but in that first chapter of that book, there's this line. It's the, it's the drunk guy at the bar, uh, success in America doesn't require any special talent or any kind of extra effort. You just have to be consistent and not fuck up. That's how most people fail. They can't stand the pressure of getting what they want. So when they see that they're getting close, they engineer some sort of fuck up to undermine their success. And to me, that immediately just hit me. And it seems like you know, in your writing, you're trying to tell people maybe, not autobiographically what's going on with you, but I mean, that how many people in my life I know that were scared of something they were doing and then just, I was about to say some names, but yeah, and just fuck it up on purpose. Yeah, I mean, is that deep within you? That kind of stuff when it comes out on the page, do you look at something like that and you're like, "I fucking nailed that." I mean, uh,
1: you know, probably that scene. I think that's like a salesman in a bar who's lecturing exactly. the f- yeah, about yeah, yeah.
0: completely
1: face plant for his entire life. Yeah. I mean, he's about to crash literally. Um, uh, and so so we, yeah. I mean, there's a, the, the there's a sort of again. This speaks to. I'm not writing this when I'm. 19 you know
0: or 20 yeah
1: i've already fucked up pretty, yeah. pretty well in my own yes. life and so uh and so i'm speaking to my own experience yeah and saying you know this is my observation is that yeah and also being aware i can't fuck up yeah you know this is you know it, it, I, this career thing will be okay but i've got to keep trying i've got to keep plugging i've got to keep putting the pages down um you know, because writing in that diner worked, I wrote my next two books in that diner. Yeah, you know, I had a, like a house and stuff at that point, but I was like, nope, I'm not gonna fuck with success. Well, you know?
0: well okay, let me ask you a question then. Were you, are you the kind of person like you? Did you feel like you couldn't write anywhere else other than that diner? No, like, okay, it was just okay. something that.
1: Holy shit! There's an aircraft carrier and a helicopter about to land on it right here. Let me let me let me show you this. Let me, <laughs> Can you see that? Oh, yeah. Wow. There's a helicopter like right over the deck of the aircraft oh, carrier. Yeah, and there's no, a I'm bunch of guys standing house. on the – those white dots are guys. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to be distracted, but
0: maybe no worries, no worries.
1: threw that shit
0: at me. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> it must be a 9-11 thing. That's not a I normal thing. So, yeah, we are – for people who don't know, we're recording yeah. the 20th anniversary. <clears throat> I'll ask the question, where were you on 9-11? I was at home, uh, in Cambria
1: still. Um, I've never seen a helicopter in person hovering over Eric. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Shiny. Um, and all those white dots are sailors standing on the deck of that aircraft carrier to the bay. For
0: everyone and for people who don't know, Chris has has a fantastic view is in in a beautiful city like San Francisco. So.
1: Yeah. I I wasn't. Yeah. 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 We're doing this on audio. It's all good. He's making shit up. It's all Um, anyway sorry i was distracted no worries. i was in cambria at the time um and i was I, I had constructed this nap closet where i would go and i could you know i had a futon in there i would shut the door and there was no noise it was right in the center of the house because uh-huh. i would open up late at night and my my girlfriend comes down and and like goes you gotta wake up there's some stuff happening you know wow. I was, oh, okay so that was uh That was where I, you know, I was at home in California on 9-11. I had, there was not even a, you know, I knew people that were in the city in San Francisco at the time. And they were like, Uh my daughter worked at the Trans-America And I was freaked out. It was like, I was worried somebody was going to hit the bridge, you know, because there was all these iconic landmarks that people were terrified were going to be hit, you know. Um, But I was sort of like, nobody cares about where I'm at. I'm fine. You know, I I was horrified at what was going on. But I, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't a personal safety thing for
0: me. Yeah, I was a freshman in high school, um, twenty minutes west of the Twin Towers. Um, so wow. am my dad worked in the towers from 1990 to 2000 on the eighth wow. floor. Um, so I was on the top of that building multiple times. But uh, I mean, that was you know, I was a, I was a f- 14 years old at that time, and I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we don't have to go down the 9/11 rabbit hole. <laughs> I mean, I was a kid, you know, all oh, my parents are from the Bronx. I grew up in North Jersey, Queens, you know, I was in Manhattan three times a week starting at the age of like five. Right. So um, w- that totally changed my, my life in a way, you know, in the sense of going to concerts, you know, I was starting to go to concerts in New York city. I remember going to a concert three weeks after, and it, it was just, everything was different. It was just totally hmm. different, you know, um, and the last that for a long time, pretty much all my high school years, it was kind of like, you know, they were still rebuilding it. The fence was around ground zero, you know, no one kind of knew what was, what would happen with it. Yeah. it unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. I guess we brought that up because today is nine eleven. but yeah, to go back to, <laughs> well, it's all good to go back to that line. But yeah, you could not I feel like you could not have written that as a 19 year old college kid. Um, and if you didn't, no. it wouldn't have been believable.
1: No, and, uh, but that's, that's what you do. I mean, when you, when you hear that adage, you know, write what you know, I mean, you just have to figure out what do I know? Yeah. You know, what do I know? And, and it doesn't mean I have to know how to necessarily, you know, bake bread or, you know, hook railroad cars together, whatever you're writing about, but you have to you know, sort of take your observations from the rest of your life and bring it to your work. Um, and I'm not writing, you know, philosophical tomes where it can all be subtext. You know, and there, I mean, there's subtext to that book. That book is basically about a guy who's a womanizer and, and, and basically kind of living off of his looks. And, and he gets that turned on him. The whole book is it's like it's completely turned on him. And, yeah. and the interesting thing about that is I just had a network uh, really interested in making it into a series. Oh, and okay. i kept going yeah 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 whatever 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 and they called me back and they thought we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and we're changing because it has like takes place on uh, pacific islands so there's yeah, a lot yeah. of ind- indigenous people in it and you travel
0: to micronesia right To write yeah, that yeah, yeah 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 i
1: spent time i spent a couple months in micronesia yeah um but they kept changing stuff to get around you know making fun of indigenous people and all this and they finally when they finally uh they go, but we can't get past how he treats women.
0: You're saying like, they, the publisher?
1: No, the network. The network. Okay. Network.
0: Well, that well, that was the original. Qu- I want to ask that question. Any, I mean, do you ever get pushback from this stuff? I mean, you write some pretty crazy stuff, even early on. Did anyone ever try to be like, hey, Chris? I don't know. If you shouldn't do that. Or
1: no, not in books. No, I mean it's it's now my friends who write young adult stuff. They really. They're up against that. And they do have people, content uh, people who are always saying, you can't say this, you can't, it has to be sensitive in all the ways that everybody has to be sensitive.
0: There's a trans um, character in that book, right? Uh huh. There's a trans. Yeah, character. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, you yeah. know, this is the 90s. we were writing trans
1: characters 30 years ago. So that's what I'm um, saying?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, but but I wasn't being hyper hands off sensitive about it. I was doing it for fun. Yeah, totally. Um, but but the, the thing is, I mean, I don't know that I could get away with, like, for my second book is about Native Americans. Yeah, I don't know if I could get away with that now. That's just wild. because I'm a white guy, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not complaining about it. It's just the way, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, no, totally. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, as I said, I was an anthro student. So looking at others' cultures and sort of finding out how they work, that's what fascinated me. And so... I don't know now if I can, could write about that as you know, because people um, Anglo writers take shit if they try to write about people of color, you know, okay. I don't know. Because I mean, I haven't, I haven't had that yet, but I tell my wife like every day, Oh yeah, I'm going to get canceled. It's just a matter of time. time I mean, I get canceled, I go, it's just a matter of time.
0: And that's why I was asking back then, if there was even any resistance back then, because you know, I- I, I, I'm a straight white male who's, trying, who's going to try to get his first book published in the year of 2021. I mean, to say that the odds are against me are, I mean, I could see the dark clouds forming already in the sky. So it's not favorable. But back then, yeah, I was curious if there was any kind of resistance to writing these kind of characters or kind of just doing what you wanted. To no, do. I, I would,
1: if I would get resistance from an editor, it would be at a very personal level. And by that, I mean, like, I had one woman for the book that you were just talking about, Island with Lepna, the sequel Love Nut. There's a woman in there who's like a villain and she is all about expensive shoes. And there's a point where I talk no spoilers. about spoilers. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's not a big deal. I, I'm, um, but there's a point where I mentioned that she's wearing $500 shoes. Yeah. And my editor in New York at the time was a woman. And she wrote on the ma- I mean, this is like the only note she gives me on a 400 page manuscript. She's like, I just don't think anybody wears $500 shoes. Okay. I don't give a shit. And I called my mom who was also a shoe whore um, <laughs> in Ohio. And I go, mom, is there such a thing as $500 shoes? And she's like, yeah, Ferragamo $500 alligator pumps. That's uh, Slam dunk. And I'm like, okay, I can win this or I can just change the number or make it like yeah. hundreds of dollars and then everybody's happy. So, so, but that's the kind of thing. I mean, I had one editor like in my vampire, my first vampire book, there's a poodle that gets slaughtered with one of the people and there's like 20 murders in that book, but he's like really, really upset that the dog got killed. And I'm like, okay,
0: fine. Have you Ever, ever see I am legend, the Will Smith movie. Yeah, Yeah. 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 When the dog gets, spoiler alert, when the dog gets killed, that's the only time in the movie I, I was in the theater and everyone in the movie theater was just like, oh, like it was the worst thing imaginable. I mean, thousands of people have been killed before in the movie. Right. But the right. Right. Was not- and this wasn't
1: even a dog It was like, we never even met this dog. This dog yeah. entered dead. He yeah. was dead when the story started. Yeah. Um, but th- Tom Hanks used to talk, he did a movie years ago called Tuna and Hooch and they killed the dog. And then when he was doing the, the press junket, he was like, this is what I learned: never kill the dog. Don't do it. Um, yeah. But the, the the point being was that he didn't go in and go, okay, you murdered twenty people, or any of this, or you had a a trans character that's yeah um, portrayed, you know, unflatteringly or something like that. It was like, <laughs> I just I I, ha- I hate that you killed the dog, and yeah. I'm like whatever so that was the kind of pushback i got early years on it was it was always very personal you could always see where it was coming from it wasn't quote editorial it was that bothered me and i'm like okay i don't know now i mean i've been working with the same editor since 2000 okay so um and she worked with like ray bradbury and Mm -hmm. isaac asimov and, and a whole different generation of I mean, she was the the sweet young thing out of... Imagine yeah. those
0: early drafts.
1: Yeah. and she. But, but I'm sure... I mean, Ray Bradbury used to just go on TV and talk about, it's fine to grab women's asses, you know? It was like, Wild.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you know, my favorite author is Philip Roth. And, you know, I'm a Jersey dude from North... a Jewish guy from North Jersey. Philip Roth always spoke to me. But, I mean, you know, in today's world... It, no, 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 no. Philip no! And- oh, wasn't there a book that just slaughtered him? I mean, just came out? So this, this is the, so I'm wearing my Green Apple book shirt. This is the first edition first. And then the author, as soon as the book came out, you know, some awful stuff was released about the author. So now this book, this 800 page really well-written book, you can't have this anymore. It's gone. You know, like this, they're burning the books. It's no more. I think they, they took it out of print. Um, but Philip, you know, it's wild to think that those guys existed in that time or were able to write about the way they lived. And, you know, you write about drugs and stuff like that. I mean, you know, nowadays it's, you know, we live in San Francisco. We can, I can buy weed you know, a block away, but back then, was there any kind of stigma about writing about drugs and stuff like that? No, stuff? No? no. I mean, I
1: never heard about any of that.
0: Yeah. I, I really didn't.
1: And, and it was, and part of the reason I wrote about it in, um, in my kind of local California. Uh, was because I saw it. Yeah, I mean, there was a period of the year in in the little town I used to live in that was like everybody's car repairs was being paid for with with bags of shake, you know. And it's like, well, those brake pads are going to cost you one hundred and fifty dollars, yeah. or here's a grocery bag full of weed, you know, yeah, exactly. with a street value of over three dollars. Um, and and that was so. I was just writing again about a. a uh, about an aspect of that small town culture that I didn't think other people knew and I thought was funny.
0: Okay. Okay. So going for I mean the first book I ever saw of yours and I was it's funny and this is the next question I kind of want to get into is the artwork of your books. Um the first book I saw uh, I have to have, I brought it up but a uh, dirty job and I remember I was in the public library it was like at that time uh, I must have been like 19 or something but like I was in a place. Part of my life as a young kid. And I would go to the lot, li- I would get stoned. I'd go to the library and I would just, whatever book's spine was able to pop out of me, I would just grab it. And yeah. I remember grabbing that book. And because you're the kind of guy, you're the dude, like, you're the fish of authors. Like, you're always in every bookstore. Every bookstore I go to, one of your books is going to be there. Everyone yeah. kind of knows your name, but they don't know your writing, but they also really know the artwork. Um, I love all the artwork and your stuff early on. Did you have any kind of say in that? Did you, do you work with the same artists throughout all the, st- how, to, how no, you- no, not at
1: all. Um, I, for years I had no say at all. Okay. None at all.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and in some cases I, they just found somebody that did a great job. Um, uh-huh. some cases, not so much. Yeah. Um, and those haven't sur- survived so much. And then I had, um, I had an artist who did, who was hired by the, the company, the publisher, to do my second book, Coyote Blue. And I really liked the hardcover of that. And it didn't get a big printing or anything like that. But when um, my later publisher, uh, Avon Collins, was going to put all my books out and reprint, this is about 2000, 2002, something like uh-huh. that, I said, go get that woman and have her do all the covers. And she did. And some things she did a great job, and some things she didn't. Yeah. um now i mean we're working on my new uh the cover of my new book now and and there's a lot i have a lot of input now you know i, mean, I get to work like kind of as the art. you have a oh dog.
0: oh uh reba my dog has made her appearance she will we want to there's a great new dog park i take her to on 36th and fulton um fenced in dog park so she had a oh, hello reba this is her Hey kid. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's a, she's a tired little girl. Hello, hi Street. Do you have a dog? I do not. Okay. No pet. What kind of dog is she a, is she a bulldog? She's a mini English bulldog. So she's got she she's got she's she's a mutt. She's got she knows we're talking about her. Uh she's got mostly English Bulldog, but a little bit of beagle. Here, I'll, I'll show you her face. She's fucking adorable.
1: She is. She's gorgeous.
0: She's a good dog, but she's good because I own the dog walking business, Rough Paws, and she's able to go out and do her Nice. Thing. Yeah. Um, she's the go
1: between your translator. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, all right. So so that with the artists, it was kind of – yeah, because I, I thought there was a theme maybe – yeah, maybe I'm wrong with that. But uh, it always seemed like there was a theme with the art, especially in the books later on in like, the mid to – Mid 2000. Well,
1: I, I mean, we, uh, the guy that did Dirty Job, the cover for Dirty Job, I mean, he came up with that on his own. Yeah. He, he did a terrific job. And some of the motifs in it, like the little baby skull with the bow, we yeah, yeah, yeah. found out later that he sort of swiped that out of, uh, out of uh, goth stuff, goth, okay. yeah, goth culture. But the, overall, that, that that graphic, that was a great cover. And, yeah. and so we went with stuff that he did later on um but you know something sometimes you get somebody that works really well and 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 they and then they submit something and it just doesn't work and you go yeah. no i'm looking for something completely different um and uh i don't even know i couldn't tell you the name of the artist who's done my last five books maybe. <laughs>
0: okay fair enough fair enough yeah no well i mean you ever see spinal tap uh-huh
1: oh with the with the with the stonehenge that's 18
0: and, inches off. or the smell of the glove you know where they had to change the cover of the album because they had a woman in a, in a dog collar smelling a glove yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's you know book especially nowadays the covers they're just so yeah there's not a lot they all look kind of exactly the same to me uh you know there's not a lot of there's so much physical space to do some fantastic artwork and i feel like novels really kind of dropped the ball on that and well, yeah, you know,
1: uh, one of the things that i really worked hard at michael for years was to get noticed and that's why i had titles like island of the secret love Nut, and Practical demon keeping and stuff you know stuff that which just like you'd be if you were walking by you go what
0: even if it's it not what i yeah, wanted I to do
1: and and i looked at covers the same way but now there's not there's very little merchandise and then by merchandising i mean there's very little of the book in the store grabbing your attention. It's done online, you know, and, and you're, you already know what you're looking for when you find it, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? You know? And, and so, and, and those authors that are trademarked, like, you know, uh, Harlan Coben and, uh, uh, James Patterson and all those, you know, the perpetual bestseller guys, their name is all they need on that cover.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's like a record logo. It's the same. Yeah. Logo. Yeah.
1: And, and, and so, uh, and I actually have fought to have my name smaller.
0: I was going to say yeah, because you kind of have that too, right? For the most part, it's pretty much the same. I mean, yeah, uh, I, it,
1: it, it, but but since I write stuff that's so different, yeah, you know, I, the cover needs to represent that. I mean, like I have just written two books set in 1947, San Francisco, and they're sort of on the on the noir uh, motif, and so they those covers had to look completely different from totally. You know, okay. stuff that I'd written that was set in Paris in 1891, stuff like that. You
0: know? When did you move to San Francisco? Uh,
1: I could. I could. I could afford to. I mean, by the time I um, I had moved to Hawaii and lived on the North Shore of Kauai for three years because I, you know, always wanted to live on a tropical island. And did you just back,
0: tried to do a check? Yeah.
1: And, and, and it was like, <laughs> oh, this isn't as, it's really far.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's often hot. and. Yeah. and um, and by that time i had been touring nationally oh cool um, like that so really, i've been in every city in the united states
0: did you like that experience touring
1: yeah i like it a lot right. I, the, the travel is brutal but the yeah. meeting people is really fun and you get yeah. to see all these cities you'd never see otherwise you know yeah. and and i i basically was at a point that at that point where i could live anywhere i wanted to yeah. and this is where i wanted to live yeah. and and which is I mean, just to step outside for a little, since we both live here and trying to convey to someone who is, say, still in North Jersey or still in Ohio is when they try to tell you about people who are dissatisfied and, and you know, they're mad at the school board or whatever. And it's like, you know what you don't have in San Francisco? People who don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. We all want to be here. And that's and for California at large. I mean you know this, you've lived out here. You can always ask someone, where are you from? If you're in Mansfield, Ohio, you don't ask somebody where they're from.
0: They're from Mansfield, Ohio. Otherwise they would be somewhere else. You ask them which Burger King do they go to? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. This is one of the, you know, this is one of the few places that, yeah, everyone who's here, and I mean, again, you know, the view outside, I, could, I, I look at this view all day and it's just, it's out of this world. But you're also, to my knowledge, one of the few authors who writes about San Francisco, um, or sets their books in San yeah. Francisco. It's easy to write about New York or you know, Chicago or LA, but yeah, I, you know, I mean, you correct me, but I, I can't, I just, you know, what book I just read that was based in SF two books. Cause, um, tales of the city. I read that for the first time, which I loved. I love that book. That's mm-hmm. just a quick talk about funny too. Um, yeah. quick bang. I mean, he, uh, but also the autobiography of a Brown Buffalo. Have you ever heard of that book? I have You know, um, Hunter S. Thompson. Sure. You know, in, um, fear and loathing in Las Vegas, where Benicio del Toro's character, that guy, he wrote a book, well, book. Yeah. Takes place in SF. Uh, and it's just about him doing drugs and, and he's like a Chicano lawyer, 1972 SF. It's a wild read, uh, wild yeah. read. Yeah. But so you talk about writing about what, you know, SF must be a blast to write in. I mean, that's it's what a great place yeah. to see characters. Yeah, in.
1: yeah. I, I mean, and, and as I you know, I, as I write in about different periods historically in San Francisco, I've been writing, as I said, about 1947. What was going on culturally in the oh, city? Yeah. Was amazing in 1947. post-war. You know, you had all these African American. The African American population went up 700 percent in the years of World War II. People coming here. From the south um, to work in the shipyards.
0: Yeah,
1: and the Japanese population was shipped off the camps. Mm-hmm. So when they came home, there were black people living in their houses. So you had this this sort of immigrant Japanese culture meeting jazz culture in the nineteen late forties and fifties, and and you know you had this weird uh, Asian sympathy with Chinatown with but it was still against the law to be Chinese mm-hmm. up until 1943, you know? So, and I live, I've always lived a few blocks out of Chinatown and I always felt like, well, need to get the passport because I'm walking to the store today. Yeah. Um, and I, and I like that. I like that. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like I'm going through a foreign country when I'm going through right. Chinatown, you know? Um, and, and the various, you know, the mission, you know, is not so Spanish now, but, it was, when I came here 15 years ago, it was.
0: Mission Street's still pretty. Oh, you came here 15, I came here 11 years ago.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still, I mean, all the art
1: there is, you yeah, know. Yeah, like, no, totally. Uh, Dia de La los Muertos, you know, the mammal covers of Day of the Dead. There's cool oh, yeah. shit in
0: the Mission. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's great cultural things to write about. Um yeah. And, and uh, you know, as you, as you pointed out, it's easy on the eyes. Um, it's hard to live it's expensive to live here yeah as you well know as everybody knows it's here but but i I was just speaking sort of the the culture at large where they sort of do this sneery thing and i don't get it and yada 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 and it's like well first it's gorgeous and second we all volunteered to be here oh yeah you know we didn't wake up here and go oh my god i hate this place i've got to get out you know there are a lot of people that are like that you know paradise
0: yeah, um, I mean, I was just traveling. I just traveled up to Portland and Seattle two weeks ago. And, you know, the thing about you hear about SF for people who, A, who have never been here and B, people who have only been to Union Square is like, oh, my God, so many homeless people. Yeah. I was in Portland, Oregon. And I'm, you can't even walk down a street. It's 10 yeah. cities. I mean, downtown, Port, every single off ramp, on ramp into the city, just 10 cities everywhere. The eye can see yeah. And it's pretty amazing the, the the you know the fiction that can get spun over time about a certain place that you never even been to. Um, SF kind of always fall. It's it's just easy to do. The South Park did it. You know they've always shit on SF. It's pretty easy to. But you're right. No one who lives here doesn't not want to be here.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, it's the thing is I the last time I was in Paris, they were clearing out the tent city. You know, down by the the I can't go, Gare de... Anyway, the, yeah. the, uh, the train station that's in the south of Paris, mm-hmm. were, there was a huge tent city. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to Calais in France, there's a huge tent city. I mean, miles yeah. of, of people. Um, it's just that, you know, if, if you live in, you know, sheep's penis, Nebraska, you know, where anybody who's on the street is going to freeze to death. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, you know, hor- and it is horrible and it should be solved. But it's, it's you know, it's not the horror story that everybody thinks it is. It's you know? unbelievable, yeah. And, and, and still, I, I address it in, in my first book in San Francisco. It's, there, there's sort of a character based on Emperor Norton who was declared, he went broke in San Francisco in the 1860s and he declared himself emperor of Alta California and, and Mexico. And the protector of the people, and he was the homeless guy, and everybody was like, "The difference was everybody went, okay, cool, sure,
0: yeah." Uh, And and, uh, and which book was that? that, that?
1: That's blood sucking fiends,
0: and that was your first SF book.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And um, and again, because I needed to set a book in a city, and I and I knew San Francisco a little bit. Yeah. But I came up here and stayed in a hotel, and I was terrified of cities because I grew up in you know small town in Ohio. Yeah. And so I would like everything in that book takes place within one block of what used to be the 42 bus line. Cause I would get on the 42 bus. It was a big loop and right outside of my motel. And I would go get off and, and look at stuff and then get back on the 42 bus and come back around. It's your so.
0: little ticket. They're doing a free, I don't know if you've been, but there's a beautiful art, new art museum on hate, lower hate on hate street. Oh, yeah. It might be the hate street art museum. They usually do like classic rock posters, but they just started a new exhibit. Some guy, Is doing the old Muni tickets, a huge free exhibit. Oh wow! Yeah, those tearaway, the tearaway tickets. Yeah. So you, you know, you're on your, you said your 18th book, right? Yeah. What's next? I mean, what do you? What's life for you like nowadays? I mean, is it just you're kicking back on your nice Eames chair, just chilling? I mean, (laughs) I I know you're pretty active on Twitter. I mean, you know, do you rage tweet from there? Well, you know, when you finish it.
1: I mean, still, even after eighteen books, I mean, I I'm have an old,
0: Eames chair too. Don't worry, it's behinds right there. It is.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Love them. Um, this was a birthday. This is a, a knockoff. This my, is mine, knockoff.
0: Mine. Mine was four hundred bucks off Craigslist, but people. Don't yeah, know. I mean, yeah.
1: My wife bought this for me for my birthday like five years ago. But every every time we like a, somebody who decorates comes in, they go, "You want to get rid of the Eames? Yes,
0: they're the best. Yeah,
1: yeah. They love it. They want. It, yeah, I'll keep the Eames. If you want to get rid of chair. Um, anyway. Uh, and it looks good on podcasts. Uh, That's what it's all about. I, I, you know, when I'm working on a book, I'm really single-minded about it, and a lot of stuff gets falls by the wayside. You don't take care of life maintenance details and stuff like right. that. You know, everything from home repairs to renewing your driver's license shit gets put to the side. So when I finish a book, and I just finished this a little over a month ago, then it's like, oh hell, I got all that stuff to do. And plus, in this case you know, we just kind of came out of COVID. So I not only had all this stuff in my book, but all the stuff for almost two years of that I didn't do because of COVID. So yeah. my life is like making appointments to go. Yeah. I haven't had a, I haven't been to a doctor in three years and you know, I need to go to the dentist and I didn't, my glasses are scratched and yeah. all this really boring life maintenance stuff. You know, it's like, Oh shit. The DMV says that I need to renew my do- driver's license and Oh yeah, my passport is up. And you know, so it's, it couldn't be any more boring, but that's what I'm doing.
0: Well, are you thinking um, about the next book? Or are you, are you always? Over- oh,
1: yeah. Over- and I don't know what the next book is. I mean, normally I do. Okay. And I just happen to be right now going, I have an idea, but I don't know that it's not something I've done before. Mm. And it's a big research project. So I don't, I'm not sure I want to do it. I'm really hoping that something will magically occur to me. That'll uh-huh. be fun and, and somewhat different than something I've done before.
0: Do you enjoy writing
1: i I just rediscovered that, yeah, I had a hard time during the the last five years um because I was pissed off all the time uh because of political stuff uh-huh and um and so I didn't enjoy writing as much. It seemed really a lot of work, but I was finishing this book you know in uh, June, July, a little bit of August. And I was like, this is this is kind of fun. I'm just writing dialogue between smart characters. And it was entertaining. And it was, uh, you know, it was at the po- point of the book. You know, the first part of the book, the first half of the book is can be really miserable because you're just inventing a whole world. But once you get it up and running, then you just got to push the puppets around, you know, and that can be really fun. And that's, so yeah, I do, I do like it. I like coming up with the ideas too. I mean, some of the funnest part of writing is just, brainstorming, you yeah. know, thinking of funny shit and then make a note and hope that it'll fit in something you're going to write later on, you know, and yeah. that's, that. I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to say, maybe that's the research part of it. Do you enjoy the research you st- you do into your book? I do. I,
1: I like the research part. I like uh, going to places I'm going to write about. You know, yeah. I almost always go to places that, I, that are set in my books, you know, um, and, and that also, you know, once I realize this is, I'm going to be able to make a living at this, then you realize if I don't, pick projects that would get me out looking at stuff and doing stuff. I'm going to sit in a room by myself making little clicky noises on a keyboard for the rest of my life. So you pick, you know, projects that, you know, like I've done a book on whale researchers and I've mm-hmm. got to go out with whale researchers, you know, and be in the water with the humpback whales. And, you know, I pick a, a project about, uh, you know, turn of the century art in paris and i get to live in paris for three months and wander around paris and look at art you know which does not suck you know um
0: people can't smile on my face yeah i I mean it sounds like a dream yeah so so basically
1: it it was you know it it makes the books more interesting it makes them different makes them less predictable and i get to you know look at stuff and, and see stuff you know and so I've written books set in Venice, and I've written yeah. books set in Palestine, and I've written books set in Paris, and I've you know, had scenes in London, and a whole book set in, in medieval England, and, you know, uh, Crow Reservation in Montana, um, Micronesia, yeah. You know, so, and that's, um, that's largely just going, I don't want to sit in a room by myself yeah. and just make... There's going to be enough for that. It doesn't. If you write, you're going to spend enough time on your own, and that's okay. I'm fine being on my own. Um,
0: Have you always been well, kind of a loner, kind or a dude who can kind of just go out and blend into every kind of environment?
1: I, I am kind of a loner, and and doing the research on books forces me out of my shell. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was an only kid, so I was used to. Be, you know, I, I think maybe I ended up being a writer because I was home reading all the time to entertain myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. you know
1: my dad was a big reader and always went to the library every week and brought yeah. what i even when i couldn't read yet yeah, he brought me books home every week yeah. so that was sort of how i was programmed and that and reading is basically a solitary thing you know? oh yeah
0: so, so 18 books in you i'm assuming i i think correct me if i'm wrong but you have a pretty vocal fan base you no know? i mean they're pretty in touch with you i, I see that on twitter you, you're you're, Back engaged, and forth with you're yeah. engaging you're an engaging person do they give you shit anytime i mean do you ever listen to what they have to say are you in tune with what's going on with your readers yeah i think
1: that i mean the the, the interactions are 99.9% positive and fun and but the percent yeah,
0: is what you remember
1: <laughs> well they're self selecting you know i mean if they if they don't get it
0: yeah then they're they're not
1: you know, they're not engaging with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everybody always asks me my book, Lamb, which is a, a gospel. It's about Jesus. They're like, didn't you get shit about that? I'm like, no. The people yeah. that wouldn't like it didn't read it. Yeah. You know, and the people who who read it like, it, you know, yeah. um, and that sort of maintains. So most of my interactions with my readers are pretty positive.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, now, that doesn't mean I don't interact on social media with people who are douchebags, <laughs> totally, like, Yeah, as do we all. Uh-huh. But um, but no, and they' and they usually have a pretty good sense of humor and so they they crack me up and and I'm I'm happy to and as I said, I do books by request, you know, enough of my people went, I had a character named Roberto who was a fruit bat who could talk.
0: And, well uh, that's from this book, right? from uh, yeah I, think yeah, I love them. yeah, yeah. and everybody's like, you gotta bring
1: back Roberto, you gotta bring, bring back Roberto And I was like, I can't really think of another story. I was sent in Micronesia. So I ended up Roberto was in like my Christmas story set in the central coast of California. Nice. We had no, why do a giant micro niche, niche and fruit bat in California for Christmas, but my readers wanted that. So, yeah. you know, I, I put it in there. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have, I have a positive interaction with my readers.
0: Love it. Well, Christopher, man, this has been an absolute blast. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of, you know, oh, dive in. Stuff. Yeah. So going forward, you taking off next book. Where can people find you? You're mostly on Twitter, right? That's your main one. Oh,
1: I, I engage on Twitter. I'm, I'm, I don't engage on Facebook because it got a little bit too whiny. Um, interesting. Um, do you and engage uh, on
0: next or no? No, <laughs> I, know, I know.
1: No, mostly Twitter. I have an Instagram account with five followers, you know, that oh, okay. I do they are. Um, and,
0: and what's uh, what's the Twitter handle?
1: Uh, all one word, the author guy. It's at the author guy. But remember the the because there's another guy who's yeah. just author guy. Awesome. And he always gets my and he's like, no, that's not me. But yeah, it's the author guy. And then right. and, and, and you recommend me? Dot will get you to any of those places.
0: Okay, okay. It was we'll we'll include the links at the end of all this stuff. And yeah. um, Island of the Secret Love Nun is that a good place to start back up with? Uh, maybe diving back into your catalog. You think? Well, it sounds like you like that book. So you yeah, just immediately. I mean, I saw the first. <laughs> Anyone getting a having sex in an airplane, I'm I'm all for it. So yeah, you'll like that book, but you, you call my attention with it. Christopher, thanks so much, man. My my pleasure, Michael. Thank you.